We are in the middle of March Madness, and I'm not talking basketball either. Next on Principles and Policies. Welcome to today's edition of Principles and Policies. I'm your host, Barry Sheets, the Executive Director of the Institute for Principal Policy. And along with me today, as usual, is my co-host, the Chairman of the Institute, my fellow analyst and very good friend, Chuck Michaelis. I'm glad to be back with you. Uh, I have one question about March Madness. Is that Your bracket's to... busted already. That's... Oh, I think so. <laughs> you know what? To show you how much, uh, show you how much I don't pay attention. Right. I knew Michigan State was in. I had no, I, no, I had no idea <laughs> how quickly they'd been beaten. I think they got beat in the second round. Second round, yeah. I think. Yes. I, I think you're correct. Um, in any case, uh, sorry to hear that. Wasn't really paying attention anyway. Although I, I do love the coach. I've always loved Tom Izzo. Uh, I was there during the Judd Heathcote era. Yes. Boy, that's a name from the past. There you go. Judd's been dead for s- several years. <laughs> yeah. Tom Izzo took over right from him. And, and, I mean, I graduated in 1989, and Izzo took over in the early 90s. So he's been there. He looks like he's, he still looks like he's 45 years old, and he can't be. Uh, but I had doubts about Izzo until uh, apparently Judd uh, sort of uh, unloaded the gift f- for uh, – uh, getting a whole lot out of uh, middle-of-the-pack players. Yeah. I, I can remember that uh, during that era was the era of the Fab Five at Michigan. Do you remember the Fab Five era? Yeah, I do remember because Juwan Howard, who was one of the Fab Five, was the coach at Michigan who this year got into a big altercation with another coach after a game. Well, that's right. And, and like smacked him in the face and uh, shoved him and Rose and, and, and created and created I, all kinds of mess. I can't name them all. Uh, Rose, Der- Derek Rose, Juwan Howard, Howard. Um, Tractor Trailer. Remember Tra- yes, Robert Trailer? Right, yeah. They called him Tractor because he was like basically about 275 pounds as a center, so he's a big boy. Um, I'm trying to remember who the other two were, but yeah, so, so I, I've got 60 percent. Those of the were the five. guys who were faves to uh, to go to the Final Four and actually win the championship. And Michigan State got further than they did yes. in the, twice. Yes, and twice. there was one game where Michigan State was going to the finals and got refed out of it by having the refs add time back against Kansas. Yeah. Oh, man, the, the boys were hot for that one. I can remember watching that game over to Buddy's house. We, I was, we, they were hot. But that's not really where I was going with the March Madness. That's all right. And that wasn't I, where I was going to either, but that's all right. <laughs> I, I wanted to know if March Madness, as in craziness, yes. is going to lead to May Madness, uh, which is uh, anger. Well, yes, there's going to be much of that in both directions, Chuck. Now, where do we begin? I mean, do we begin at the international level? Do we begin at the do we start at the national level, or do we start down at the state there level? There are so because many outrages. There's so many things going on right. right now. And I'm sorry, folks, we haven't been live for a couple of weeks. That's been mainly my schedule. But, uh, you know, we, there's really a lot of things going on to talk about. I guess maybe let's just start at the top, Okay. We are watching the changing of the guard, is how I'm going to put it, internationally. We have Russia invading the Ukraine, which we've talked a little bit about here before. We have Ukraine desperately calling out for every other country to get involved in this. We have Russian satellite countries like Belarus, who are 
amassing troops on the border that they have with Ukraine for a potential second round strike. Well, to uh, coming in on the side of the Ukraine. Well, that's st- that's still up in the air. Yeah, that's uh, true. I-, I agree with you that with that because the nope. B- Belarusians have their own border disputes with, with Ukraine. With Ukraine, and you the- have to remember that Ukraine was not actually a country until the Soviet Union broke up. Right. Even though it has a longer history than than uh, uh, Russia, uh, when Russia started, it was called Kievan Rus. Yes, I was just about to say that's right. Kiev was Russia. It was part of Russia at one time. <laughs> at one time. But, but after the after, at during World War One, yes, Ukraine was uh, uh, mostly Austrian Empire, but not all of it. No, R- Russia had a big hunk of it, and before that, Russia had had held most of it. Uh, it was known as the breadbasket of Europe uh, because. If you look at the terrain, it's all flat. It's sort of like uh, it's sort of like North Dakota or Nebraska. I was going to say you've ever Nebraska is more Nebraska, flat than North Dakota is. <laughs> if you've ever well, in the eastern part, the Dakotas are absolutely dead flat. That's true. When you get to the western third, you're in the foothills of the Rockies. Yep. So it, it's no longer flat because I've driven all the way across North Dakota and then up the mountain to Rapid City. Yeah. Uh, which is way up there. <laughs> it is. It is. But, you know, when it gets right down to it, we're sitting here. Okay, so as we record this, it's been just over a month since Russia invaded into Ukraine. Right. In that last month, the Biden administration has basically done... Very close to nothing. Well, no, they've done things that I think actually are counterproductive. I'll just be quite frank. They have been doing things, Chuck. We, you know... We've been going after them. That the whole thing about you know cutting them out of the the banking system. Um, there was just a move just here recently. I think pushed by the by the uh, uh, Securities and Exchange Commission to deplatform Russian interests on the stock market. And I look at all these moves, which are these these are moves yeah. that that a that an yep. absolute neophyte politician would tend to make, being basically. Uh, completely unplugged from the realities of of international geopolitical reality. Well, sure. We we talked about this 2 weeks ago. We we did, but it's getting worse. It's I getting mean, worse. it's getting worse. Biden just today as I'm coming over here to record with you and we're recording on Thursday, surprise surprise, Thursday not Tuesday. But we're recording here on Thursday. Joe Biden just did a uh, meet the press kind of uh, conference. Where he basically lauded how wonderful a job we've been doing over the last month in order to, you know, push back against Russia. And I'm thinking to myself, does he not understand what's going to happen here? Okay. Chuck, old hunter adage. When you face a wounded tiger, don't try to poke him, kill him. Well, that's why don't follow him into the jungle, you kill do, him you, before you, he gets you, you there. Do, yeah. You do one of two things. You either kill him outright or you get away. If Vladimir Putin and Russia are a wounded tiger right now, okay? Yeah. They bit off more than they could chew with going into the Ukraine and it's starting to show that they are that this was not the ground war that they thought they were going to be in. As you mentioned earlier and I think you you hit on it, 
You have many who are in Russia who are opposed to them doing this. You have many who are in satellite countries of Russia, including Crimea and Belarus and Moldova, who all are like, no, this was stupid. We don't want to do this. As you mentioned, troops amassing on the Belarusian border, Some many of them are pro-Ukraine. Yeah. Many of the Russian troops who are coming in are not necessarily pro-Russian. Yeah, that's true. And they're also running into a situation. Chuck, what time of the year is it? It's spring. Yes, but in Russia, what does spring look like? It still looks like winter. <laughs> they have a large number of their ground forces that are suffering frostbite. Oh, sure. They're sending them in with... Frigid. Uh, they're over. sending them in with... Uh, um, they're making the mistake that Napoleon made. Yes. Uh, Napoleon and, and Hitler. Yes. When Hitler uh, did the second push in Russia, also the first push, uh, if, if you recall the dates, he invaded Russia on June 22nd, 1941. Right. With the expectation that they would be in Moscow in uh, October, early, early October. Right. Uh, where were they in early October? They weren't in Moscow. They weren't anywhere close to they Moscow. They were way still west. They reached a place. Their their big push in December before the Russian winter really, really, really hit. Uh, they got to a place where they were about twenty miles, maybe a little closer, seventeen miles outside, and they had some high ground. And I can still remember a dramatization I saw where where the guy says, "Look over there, you see that red mass? That's the Kremlin." But it was this little tiny speck <laughs> on the horizon. That's the closest they got. Yes. Now, they did get the emphasis changed in the latter part of the war, and they decided to go for uh, the uh, the oil, the Caspian Sea oil fields. Well, look at a map. Where do you have to go through? You have to go through uh, southeast or southwest Russia. What's there? Uh, Stalingrad. You can't bypass Stalingrad. It's a fortress, essentially, at the time. What happened? Hitler smashed his army at Stalingrad. Yes, he did. Lost lost over a million men. And the Russians also lost huge numbers of men, but guess what? They were prepared for that. They knew that that was their strategy. Hitler didn't. He couldn't afford it. And these guys were right. fighting in winter uniform or in summer uniforms with light coats at 20, 20, 25, 30 degrees below zero. Well, that's kind of the Russians seem to have forgotten their own lesson. Well, you know, sometimes that happens. You get blinded by what your ambition and you don't pay attention to the lessons of the past. It happens a lot. I mean, we're seeing it across the board. But if you were an impartial analyst, and I'm first to admit we're not. Yeah. <laughs> I'm first to admit we're not. Uh, we have, we're full of our own opinions. But uh, would you say that Joe Biden's handling of this conflict and our involvement in it or our, our work to try to mitigate what's going on has actually been beneficial or not? Okay. Joe Biden's handling of this crisis is the same way that the United States has been handling a lot of crises lately. And that is, we saw a, a sort of a glimmers of hope under Trump because he understood bigger pictures. But these guys are handling everything as if it's a short-term problem. Yes. And 
the, uh, Biden's handling of it is like we're going to if we just close them out of the stock market now the banks then then they'll capitulate. Instead, what did it do? It drove them into the arms of the Chinese. Exactly, and that's what I meant by don't go poking a wounded tiger. Either kill him or get away from him. Yeah. You either go in and get it done, or you back out and let the tiger do what the tiger's going to do. This whole push, and I I was having this conversation with my sons the other day because they keep up on everything, and they know more about the geopolitics, I think, than I do, which, I, you know, that's good for them. And the whole, and the whole, yeah. I, and the whole idea was... All you're going to do if you push them economically is drive them into the arms of someone who's willing to fund them. Yeah. And that's the Chinese because it benefits China if Russia can show strong because then they can use the Russian threat as pressure on some of the places that China wants to roll over on, like Taiwan, like India, like Pakistan, like all of those other nations that are around the the China border. Right. Um, if they have Russia on the top actually being successful in these land grabs and in these like takeovers of areas like the Ukraine, uh, possibly Georgia, possibly other places that he might go to, then what you have is you still have another, you have a secondary threat from the north that countries like India and Pakistan and others will have to worry about. And that gives China yeah. more leverage to be able to go in and do what they want to do. It's the exact z- geopolitical uh, picture that Britain. Uh, that British foreign ministers laid awake at night to keep from happening, and also yes. uh, British uh, uh, secretaries of state, um, because what that means is that a united China and Russia threaten the entirety of the sub the Indian subcontinent, and, and that's not just India; that's Pakistan, Afghanistan, Burma, uh, all of Indochina. Uh, Indonesia, that mm-hmm. that whole the whole uh, northern hemisphere, that includes Europe and uh, mostly uh, um, far eastern Europe and western Asia, and in fact, essentially the entirety of Asia. Because uh, what's to stop a united Russia and China from att- att- achieving all their their uh, uh, territorial aims. Uh, Russia continues to feel pain because they don't have a warm water port. In fact, their navy is really underdeveloped because really they don't have a warm water port uh, from which to launch a worldwide fleet. Do they have a fleet? Yeah. But it's it's mostly concentrated in the Baltic, which is if you don't know where that is, that's up uh, north of Germany, between Germany and the and the Scandinavian countries, and over uh, to the uh, to the west and in the east, it's uh, it's Russia and Lithuania, and, uh, uh, Lithuania, Latvia, Estonia, um, all that. That's mostly where their fleet is concentrated. They do have some. They have a Black Sea fleet. Mm-hmm. But remember, the whole point is, as we've talked about, um, if, look at a map. the The Black Sea it can be blocked at the Bosporus and the Dardanelles, which is why, again, Britain in World War One was so adamant about trying to capture the Dardanelles. Of those of you who have heard of Gallipoli 
seen the movie maybe possibly uh, yeah. that kind of thing it, the whole point was to uh, knock turkey out of the war by capturing the the dardanelles and then taking the bosporus which is where constantinople is or uh, istanbul as it's known now right. constantinople at the time uh it's a uh, uh again geopolitics and russia uh almost pulled off conquering Constantinople. And if you know the uh, Crimean War, the uh, that was the whole point. The whole point was to, A, have their warm water ports. Now, Russia's held that territory in the Crimea since the middle of the 19th century, maybe. Maybe earlier than that. Maybe the end of the 18th. Oh, good they took that from the Ottoman Empire. They took a lot of that that territory from the Ottoman Empire, Russo-Turkish War, which I forget right. when it was, end of the 19th or 18th century, as I recall. Now, did you know that Crimea was not originally part of Ukraine until 1954? Uh, no, I was not aware of that. Yes. Uh, the Soviet Union assigned that territory to Ukraine. Why? Because there was a direct land connection and they could administer it. The Russo-Turkish War was in 1877. Okay, well, that's after the Crimean War. So there's, yeah. uh, but they they took uh, the Crimea away well before that. So, um, but that's all. That's been Russian territory for a couple of centuries anyway. Mm-hmm. Two, yeah, absolutely. Two hundred fifty years. Let's let's say just off the top of my head. Um, so uh, again, the history there uh, are. When uh, there was a when Ukraine bro- broke away after the f- fall of the Soviet Union, Ukraine declared uh, uh, independence mm-hmm. from the Russian federa- from the Russian Federation. Because remember, it was a federation after the after the Soviet Union fell. Right. They said, "No, we don't want to be part of the federation." So they broke away and they took Crimea with them. And Russia said, "Wait, wait, 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 wait. You can't have that." And if you recall, there was a big thing. There was a, a war scare, and that was in, what, 2014, uh, 15, somewhere in that vicinity? Yeah, something. I forget what the exact date. But yes. Yeah, but there, there was a war scare. And uh, I can remember arguing, and I, and I still think this, most of the people in the Crimea wanted to stay with Russia. And I'm like, okay, are we going to play? Are we going to do the Woodrow Wilson? Every place has the right to self determination, or are we going to say that that uh, Ukraine, by act of just pulling away, gets to keep everything that was given to them as a gift? And Russia's saying, well, you can't have that gift. We're not letting you keep that. So I'm I'm a little torn on that. Strategically, I, it would be better if Ukraine maintained the Crimea. I think, but, yeah, it probably would. But they don't. And they're not, and Russia's not giving it back. Uh, no, it doesn't look like. Well, you know, it's very interesting because I, I'm wondering just exactly how much more help Joe Biden thinks he's going to give over in that country in order to, to the point of, every time he does something to help, which you know, cutting off oil, denying access to the set and the other all it is is strengthening russia's ties with china which as you've seen has created ripples internationally because just this last week there has been an agreement reached although whether it will you know be executed or not for the saudi oil countries 
to basically take payment for oil in Chinese yuan instead of in dollars, what you call petrodollars. Right. The, the United States dollar used to be the basis for international trading, especially in oil. With the Saudis and the oil-producing Arab countries deciding that they're willing to take at least partial payment in Chinese yuan, then what we're seeing is is the decline, the sunsetting of the United States dollar as being the international standard currency. That's a major situation. That's a major for, problem yeah. for the United States. Where are they going to go to though? The euro? Um, yeah, no, that, that, that's a no, no go. No, but the thing is that China is looking to push as hard as they can the to, make, to make the yuan the the international currency. There are problems with that, but yes. there are strategic players in the Middle East. Uh, like Saudi Arabia, who would very much like not to be t- tied at the waist to the United States, and right. petrodollars tie them to the U.S. at the waist. That's true. Um, and uh, there are a lot of people there that who would like to be out from under that because that would certainly change the outlook of the situation strategically in the Middle East greatly. Well, well okay, and the reason why that should be important to folks here at home, have you been to the gas pumps lately? Okay, yeah. you've seen the prices, right? Right. Okay, here I mean here in Ohio, especially in central Ohio, I think we crested a high of about four oh nine or four ten a gallon. Around, yeah. About four ten a gallon. If the international means of exchange of currency for pet for oil is not the US dollar, but becomes something else or becomes a mixture, that weakens the buying power of the US dollar for oil. Why is that big for us? Because we have an administration in the United States who is shutting down domestic production of oil. Not only are we not going to be energy independent, we are going to be more dependent than we ever have been because our dollars won't buy as much. Therefore, that means we have to spend more dollars to buy the same amount of oil in order to create the fuel that goes into your gas tanks, into your home heating, whatever it might be. You think $4 a gallon is rough, and we think you're do- we're only here because Putin invaded Ukraine, which is the lie that the Biden administration is trying to spin out They're there as desperately it, yeah. as possible. Inflation's that, Putin's that inf- fault. That yeah. Inflation is Putin's fault, not Biden's fault. Just wait for being paying an average of 6 to $7 a gallon for gas, and that being in perpetuity because of the exchange of the United States dollar as the basis currency for Petro purchases for international oil purchases. I mean, even China had to buy in U.S. dollars. Right. Which put them at a disadvantage, granted, because the U.S. dollar traded heavily more. Its its ratio against the yuan was, was very positive, just like our ratio against the Canadian dollar is positive. Now, our ratio against the British pound sterling when Britain went back to the sterling, not so positive because ster- silver is an intrinsic metal that has value. And as a matter of fact, I just checked the uh, the metals spot market. It's over $25.50 an ounce right now. You're getting so, to record. You're going to approach you're getting close. record. Yeah, 27 yeah. 28 bucks was about where it landed right. for a while. Now, remember, it isn't record because back in the early 80s, it went to $50. 50 bucks. <laughs> but at the time, it had an industrial usage, which it doesn't have which anymore. Which it doesn't have anymore, which means it won't reach those $50 levels, right. most likely. And if you don't know what I mean, it's photographic. Yeah, for, for photo no, play. Nobody takes, uh, 
nobody uses film anymore. Nobody uses Polaroids. Yeah. Yeah, because that's usually that was one of the big all film. All film was a we used a, a silver a silver solution as yep. the sensitive. Uh, uh, the light sensitive part of the uh, yep. uh, of the ma- of the matrix, but we've all gone digital, so therefore there's not that big of a demand for silver anymore. And, and you don't even use it to print anymore. No. You print on uh, you print on uh, photographic paper on a yep. on a laser printer. Now the other thing that is going on again, March is mad. Um, as we know, um, Justice David Souter decided to retire. Therefore, that left an opening on the United States Supreme Court bench, which Joe Biden is desperate to fill. And his um, actual um, nominee is Katanji Jackson Brown. Brown. Yes. Um, a African-American female, which he's very, very proud to say and, you know, happy, happy to tell you about. She's in her third day, Chuck, as we're recording this. I believe it's third day, maybe fourth day of doing the hearings before the Senate Judiciary Committee. It has been a very eye-opening experience. Definitely. Because senators like Ted Cruz, Marsha Blackburn, and others are asking her very difficult questions about her record, about her rulings, about having seven cases of child predators in front of her, pedophiles. All seven of them got the lightest sentences they could possibly get her record on being a board member of a school that pushes critical race theory as hard as they can push it and indoctrination her history of being a judicial activist, but then trying to spin it that she would follow precedent when on the Supreme court. It's not going well for this nominee. And of course what's happening is guys like Dick Durbin and others in the Senate Democrat Party are trying to push that you're being mean to this. Basically, what they're trying to do is play the race card. They're, that you're trying that you you guys are just being more the hooded KKK members trying to lynch a black uh, judge, you know that you don't like. When's the last time somebody made a claim about somebody lynching somebody? Wow, it's funny you bring that up. I was thinking about the same thing. Uh, I, do you recall uh, Clarence Thomas sitting in that hearing uh, uh, where Joe Biden had attempted to savage him? Yes, on, exactly. On the uh, the subject of natural law. Yes. Now, if you don't know what that means, that means that there is a natural order of things. Yes. And that certain kinds of law grow out of that. In other words, God's law. Exactly. The law written on men's hearts, the, the, the natural law. And Joe Biden at the time seemed a little addled because he wouldn't come right out and denigrate it. But he goes, he made this cryptic statement about how you and I both know this. And he also tried to make the point that he goes, you know that uh, no one, no law school teaches natural law anymore. And, of course, the point was made that, Yes, there are at least five or six of them that still teach natural law. Yes, they do. And several of uh, reputable colleges. But the point is that Clarence Thomas came out after some of the stuff that was done to him. This this thing about Anita Hill. Yes. Who had f- kept following him around and asking him for jobs as he um, as he got federal appointments. And he, 
apparently, you know, she was loyal enough that he gave her work. She came out and made this uh, dubious claim that he had sexually harassed her. Mm-hmm. And it became a circus after that. And it became obvious to the American people that this was an attempt at a hatchet job. Yep. And what people did was to to uh, put to the lie the idea that this was all about racism, that white people wouldn't put up with a black Supreme Court uh, justice. Right. People rode in in droves to their senators and said, you'd better vote for this guy. Right. I will not sit here while you, people like you, come out and literally try to lynch electronically this man. And... Uh, he made that statement, and a lot of people that wrote to their senators, and guess what? He was uh, approved mm-hmm. by the re- requisite number, which I think at the time was, what, 67? No. He needed a supermajority, I think. Did he not? Right. Well, it was two-thirds, yeah. Yeah, 67. 67. And he got a 60. I think he passed with 68 or 69. I forgot. Yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was, the hard it was course, slightly close. The hard course came out and said no, uh, as we expected them to, uh, Joe Biden being one of those people. Uh, but the fact is that this this is that what the, what the Democrats are at this point are trying to do is recreate that rhetoric to make it look like the Republicans are, quote-unquote, lynching uh, this this nominee. The problem is that this nominee keeps sticking her head back in the news. Um, you know, uh, when I think it was Ted Cruz asked her to, uh, could she define a woman? And she said no. Yeah, well, she she basically said she's not a biologist. She's not a biologist. She didn't say no. She just said she's not a biologist. Well, that's the which, equivalent of saying no, which which, yeah. which essentially is an absurdity on its face because you don't need to be a biologist to know the difference between a man and a woman. This is true. Um uh, beyond the obvious physical attributes, uh, if you want to get down to the genetic level, men are XY, women are double X and chromosomes. But I think it's, yeah, you're right. And, but I think it's very interesting that the Democrats who basically set for, let me think, Neil Gorsuch, Brett Kavanaugh, Amy Coney Barrett, basically attacking them personally, ginning up a fake uh, scenario of sexual assault on Kavanaugh, which fell apart on them. It, it really fell apart. Yeah. Are now screaming bloody murder over Republican senators asking Biden's nominee about her case history, about her right. judi- her, about her judicial philosophy exactly. on the bench. And they're screaming that that's out of bounds. Yeah, in fact... you can't ask her these questions because that's just... It's, that's intolerant of you. That's what this is all about. You're putting someone on the bench with a, well, not constitutional lifetime appointment... Uh, everybody seems to think it's a lifetime. It's during you serve during good behavior. During good which behavior, which means you can be removed from the court. You don't not by just by death or resignation. You can be removed from the court with a with an act of Congress, and so therefore, this is highly important about her judicial philosophy, what her case history has been, how she handles certain types of cases before the bench, and whether or not she understands the definitions of basic words. Right. I mean, we're uh, back. We're back to Bill Clinton. What is is? There is a difference between calling someone out uh, on ginned up false accusations of sexual assault or cheating in college or whatever. Yes. Versus your judicial record, which is what 
the uh, Democrats are trying to block access to. They're literally trying to block access to her uh, judicial record. Now, why would you do that? If, if, if you were, it did, doesn't matter what party. Why would you block a nominee's uh, documentation of their judicial record if they're being appointed to a federal judgeship? Because, you know, their judicial record shows that they're a leftist activist. And, That's right. And when you're sitting with a 50-50 United States Senate, you can't afford to lose any votes because she may not get confirmed. That's right. Now, of course, you had Mittens Romney from Utah moaning and groaning about how hor- these, these questions are so out of bounds. Mitt... Why don't you just switch parties? Just go ahead and throw off the, the disguise. Register as a Democrat because you're voting and you're and you're speaking like a leftist progressive. Why why all the subterfuge? Because you're afraid you won't get elected again in Utah? You're probably right. Well, there are other guys. Ben Sass and uh, um, yes. the usual bad players. Uh, uh, um, the, the, the woman up in Maine. Um, can't think of her name. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm having one of those days, Barry. No, I. I that's okay. It, there, there are. Oh, ele- you mean Susan Collins? Susan Collins. Yeah. Um. So you got in Maine, Susan Collins, and Alaska, Lisa Murkowski. Murkowski. In, in Utah, you got Mitt Romney. Ben Sass is from Nebraska. How many other leftist Republicans? Oh, I forgot one. He's leaving the Senate at the end of the year. Oh yeah, Rob, Rob Portman. Portman from Ohio, who I'll guarantee you will vote in favor vote of this in favor. nominee. Why? Because because he's a unipartyist. He's always been a, uh, if you don't know what I mean, that means that basically the, there's really no difference between the Democrats and the Republicans at the leadership level. Uh, there uh, Now, Kevin McCarthy, uh, uh, he's trying to step out, a step away from that. It's fake, folks. Kevin's on the wrong side. Uh, he's playing the game. Well, it's interesting that you said the word fake. I wanted to jump over into the new thing here. And fake is the right word to get us there. What else do we know has been faked recently that's in the news? Oh, gosh. Let's see. A, uh, uh, a pandemic and who who it's killing and uh, who's being hospitalized. Not, and, okay, beyond that, what else has oh, been gosh. faked? Uh, uh, Joe Biden's uh, uh, well, competence. Well, okay. Well, we've determined that one thing is is legitimate, right? They're now admitting that the Hunter Biden laptop story is oh, real. Oh, that's right. Is yeah. real, and that everything about it was real, including the allegations about him getting money from company in Ukraine. Yeah, Ukraine start, is a big start, player. Start in putting the, some of the puzzle pieces together, folks. Yeah, Ukraine's in a big U- player in, in the uh, in Ukraine in the scandal, which would implicate that while Joe Biden was a sitting vice president of the United States, his son was acting as a middleman to cut. Uh, graft getting paid tens if not hundreds of thousands of dollars and in some cases millions that he gave to the big guy yes and and was documented in a bunch of emails on his laptop well the big guy turned out to be joe well joe joe went to the uh, council on foreign relations and bragged about how he had a ukrainian prosecutor fired yes for uh attempting to expose his son as a grifter right there, okay, and so right now with Joe Biden being the resident of the United States, there's very little way other than impeachment you're going to get to him on this. However, that hasn't stopped somebody else on another issue because there was another little thing going on about information and computers that people tend to forget about. 
and it was the Russian collusion piece, right? Yes, right. And about the whole idea that somehow Donald Trump was colluding with the Russians during his campaign and doing untoward things uh, and the dossier and everything else. Well, that's all started to completely fall apart. Okay. And it's bringing down an entire broadcast network with it. CNN, yes. There's not, there's maybe one other place it's going to bring down because of what just happened today, Chuck. You may not even know about this yet. No, I don't. Probably the New York Times or the Washington Post. No. Try the Clinton Foundation. Oh, the CF? That's not shocking. Because you know what happened today, Chuck? No. As we're recording this, it comes across my news feed. Donald Trump has sued Hillary Clinton in federal court over malicious conspiracy to uh, weave this conspiracy theory and using the Clinton Foundation's money to try to set it up. as uh, to, to do political work, which is absolutely, absolutely illegal. Yes, indeed. So he sued Hillary Clinton and several other Democrats. It doesn't say specifically who just yet. On Thursday, alleging they attempted to rig the 2016 U.S. presidential election by fabricating a conspiracy theory tying his campaign to Russia, which has since completely fallen apart as people who actually are investigative journalists started digging into it and started realizing all roads lead back to a server at the Clinton Foundation. I'm going to bring up one thing before we go on, just, just as a sidebar. Yeah. This only means that the only way to completely drive a stake through Hillary's heart regarding further attempts at gaining power, this step has to be taken, which is going to embarrass a whole lot of people. Yes. But it's going to wipe Hillary off the map regarding Hillary was considering another run for president. She's done now. I've been saying she's done for a long time, but this finishes her. It very well could. And this was just at the time when she was starting to raise her head again because she was realizing that Joe Biden is a lame duck president in his first year and that she might have another chance of taking a bite at the golden apple to get into the presidency. I think that's probably going to end that. Uh, but you're going to be hearing a lot more about this as it goes. Um, Chuck, I mean, we've talked about these type of issues, the whole thing with this, with Peter Strzok and the whole thing with all and Michael Sussman and all the things that have been going on around this. We finally got to the point where you might be able to get some resolution because Trump didn't wait for the FBI. He didn't wait for the National Security Agency. No. He didn't wait for the C. He didn't wait for all of the intragovernmental organizations to try to come up with what they think is the spin. He sued in federal court. Where'd he sue? Where's he live? Yeah. Florida. 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 Yeah. Florida federal court. Folks. I I think that you're going to see an awful lot of activity coming from the left, uh, from Hillary Clinton to the Biden administration to even Barack Obama, over what may transpire in a little thing called discovery. Yes, discovery is going to be ugly for the Clinton family. Yes, it will. And um, they're they're going to pull out all the stops to get it all blocked. Uh, there will be senators who who risk their political careers to try to block things for them. There will be uh, federal judges who attempt to block things, um, only to have the, probably have the Supreme Court come out and say, you can't do that. Um, yeah, it, it's, uh, uh, it, it's, it's going to get ugly. And, of course, this is all spurring out of John Durham's probe of what went on and all the things that he's been revealing with indictments against Sussman and others. And those indictments, he still hasn't indicted Hillary yet, but I think 
perhaps this might be a trigger to get there. It might be the tripwire. Yeah, it could be. Um, it's interesting. A lot of this is going on at the same time that uh, former uh, Attorney General Barr is saying that there's nothing to the whole uh, vote-stealing thing, but he's coming out and saying this other stuff is real. Yeah. It's absolutely real. The Hunter Biden laptop thing and all this, it always was real. We always knew it was real. And the news media was lying to you. Um, so what are the, what's the news media doing about it? Oh, it's, it's old news. Uh, nobody cares anymore. Uh, if you remember, people like you and me were being... Uh, now, we didn't, didn't have this happen because we're not really on YouTube. Mm-hmm. But people were being thrown off YouTube. They were being thrown off Twitter. They were being thrown off Facebook for talking about the Hunter Biden laptop. And it's a Russia collusion story and blah 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 Yep. Uh, uh, well, no, it's a Ukrainian collusion story. <laughs> um, uh, but you're missing it. And now what do you do? Uh, you've got this giant story on your hands that you've been lying about now for over two years. So how do you suddenly turn do turnabout and say, you know, we were lying to you. Uh, Here's the truth. Well, how, what does that do to your credibility? So how do you fix it? You just ignore it. Yeah, there was a problem with that story. We, in a couple of years, you'll see somebody come out. We knew there was a problem with that story. But. We didn't want to. We didn't want to aid and abet uh, Trump. Therefore, we basically ran interference and gave us Joe Biden. Gee, thanks, guys. Uh, good work. Nicely done. Um, this is the way the news media works. I, uh, Barry, I've been. Uh, I read a book. I read two books at the same time, and every time I hear somebody talk about the. Uh, Joe McCarthy and the Blacklist. Yes. I, I think back to these two books and the way they handled the same material. Uh, one was called the Matrokin Archives. Yes. If you've ever read the Matrokin Archives. The Matrokin Archives was where all the the intelligence information that came out of the Soviet Union after the, the Soviets closed up shop and the Russians said, okay, you can have a look at the KGB files. No problem because, you know, this was... Uh, it, it you know these things were declassified. Well, who who shows up in the Matrokin archives? All these communists that worked in the State Department. All these com- uh, like uh, when I when I was a teenager and when I was in college uh, in the seventies. Oh, Alger Hiss is that was this heroic figure who was involved in the founding of the UN and he was falsely accused by Richard Nixon. Richard Nixon falsely prosecuted him and did all these horrible things to and Alger Hiss his life was ruined. Well, Alger Hiss ruined his own life by essentially being an agent for the Soviets through the auspices of the Bulgarians. Uh, one of the re- he they had to backdoor him because he wasn't reporting direct to the Soviets. He was reporting to the Bulgarians. Well, it's a little bit like taking your money out of your right pocket and putting it in your left pocket. You still got the money. It just came in a different way. It well, came from yeah. a different spot. Uh, okay, and he's not the only one. When Joe McCarthy said there are hundreds of agents of the Soviet Union in the Department of State, yes, people say. We've disproven that. No, you haven't. Well, the Matrokin archives Show exactly that was, proved that it was that, real. Now, if you read that section in the Matrokin archives, they still come out and condemn Joe McCarthy. Of course. Apparently for being correct. Now, if well, yeah, you read we can't it, have that. No, but 
I know what was going on there. The author knows that if you try to uh, rehabilitate Joe McCarthy, your book cannot make it onto the New York Times bestseller list. And if I remember right, the Metrokin Archives was on the bestseller list. Very well could have been. There's another book written by M. Stanton Evans. Okay. And it was called Blacklisted by History. I have that book. It's a very good one. That's a good book because he goes through and dismantles all that stuff, dismantles the case against McCarthy, um, and shows that Joe McCarthy was absolutely correct. Show, uh, it shows how some of the uh, 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 newspaper stories at the time have been memory hold, so that it looks like McCarthy had nothing. Yeah. When in fact he had when he had said he had lists of agents in the Communist Party and in the State Department, he had them. Yeah. And the fact is, you read those two different coverages. And if you go into a college today, what do you hear? Joe McCarthy. Now, what do you usually hear it about? Joe McCarthy was involved in the blacklist in Hollywood. Yes. This is the one. This is McCarthyism. Joe McCarthy's got all these people blacklisted. I laugh about that. I go, yeah. okay, House Committee on Un-American Activities. Uh, and I actually heard somebody say that Joe McCarthy was the head of the House Committee on Un-American Activities. And I laugh. I said, Joe McCarthy was a senator. A senator is not even allowed on the floor of the House except by invitation. And, he, and that's and he comes for a as State a, of the Union. Address. That's right. He comes as a private citizen onto the floor of the House. That's right. Um, and what, what, is that, what does that tell you? The fact is that the propaganda machine, they can't bear to come out and say, yeah, McCarthy was right. We had all these communists in the State Department. Put there by who? Uh, employees of, you know, who was in office for the longest in the 1930s and 40s. It was Franklin, Franklin D. Roosevelt, D. Roosevelt. and yeah. he was a big fan of Joe Stalin's. Yes, he was. All you have to do is read uh, Fleming's book on uh, uh, the New Dealer's War, and he talks about how he and uh, FDR and Stalin got together at uh, Tehran and squeezed out uh, Churchill. Yeah. Because Churchill was an absolute opponent of of Stalin. Um, these international politics things, folks, don't buy the propaganda. This is why I tell people you are being lied to and you need to look at the history. It's true. Joe McCarthy found this stuff. This is what's being attempted on Republicans at this point. They're trying to hit them with the Joe McCarthy stick. Sure, absolutely. Are. Uh, Despite it's the fact not, that... not a surprise. That's right. And that stick comes out. It, they just don't say McCarthy anymore. Yeah. But Sometimes you'll see this is McCarthyism. So, so, so in other words, so what we got here is we got a whole list. Uh, that's the reason why I call this program March Madness. Yeah. So you've got an administration who thinks harming American America's economy helps the war effort in in a foreign country that we're not even involved in. Right. You have a, an administration that thinks um, killing our energy independence won't raise our prices for energy. You have a an administration. That well, let's not even go to the minister. Let's just look at Congress for a minute. One of the most dysfunctional bodies on the planet. The latest thing from Congress, you know, after Biden did his State of the Union, and and we tried to spin the whole thing that in all this inflation and all these price raises are all Putin's fault, which is not, of course. Their new thing is is that we're going to try to give the American public some relief, Chuck. From all this inflation and these high <laughs> yes, prices. I saw this. And so basically what they're proposing, and this is Mike Thompson, who's a Democrat representative from California, 
John Larson from Connecticut and Lauren Underwood from Illinois, all three Democrats, all three members of, the, of Congress, they've put together a the Gas Rebate Act of 2022. Chuck, you, under this under this proposal, American drivers, so I guess if you have a driver's license, you you qualify, would receive a one hundred dollar energy rebate per month for the remainder of 2022. So in other words, it's kind of like a stimulus check. So you get $100 per month. Let's say this passes in April, so it starts in May. So for seven months, or eight months, actually. So you get $800 to offset the cost of energy. There's only two problems with this bill. <laughs> Number one, it's other people's money. That's right. It's your tax dollars. And for those who got just gotten through filing their taxes and realized that, you know, the days of wine and roses of tax cuts and, and deductions that Trump put in place during his four year in office are being radically and systematically removed are, are finding out that the taxes are a little rougher. Secondly, Chuck, when we're pulling money out of places that we don't have it, did I mention to you we have a deficit in this country? We're in debt. And if you look at the total indebtedness, which includes all of our futures and bond buybacks and everything else in this country, it really exceeds. Most people think we're $36 trillion. Oh, no, 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 no. We're $600 trillion in the hole. If you look at every last yeah. obligation in, in debiture, everything else that we have going on in this country, the total indebtedness of the United States of America is over $600 trillion. If you don't believe me, I'll bring you this chart that shows it. Because yeah. the vast majority of the public do never receive the actual numbers. All they hear are the top lines, right. which is spending spending versus revenues, not future spending we've locked ourselves to, not contracts we're locked into, not uh, international international exchanges that we have to do as part of treaties and otherwise. We are so we are so far in debt, Chuck. I think that even under the thirty-six trillion, that was every adult in the United States had two hundred twenty-one thousand dollars of debt of the from the if they if the government had to pay it all off, it cost each and every adult in the United States two hundred twenty-one thousand dollars. That was at thirty-six trillion. Try it six hundred trillion. Yeah, look. Um, You're looking at about $4 million per person of debt. The, at this point, the only way to get out of debt is debt repudiation. Well, and, and, Repudi It's the only and, way to, to get out of debt. Well, and that's the point is that they're never going to do that. So they're just going to keep tying it deeper and deeper right. and deeper. Now, okay, I'm an equal opportunity uh, blame giver. Yeah. Uh, some of this over, vast overspending started under Trump. Yeah. Well, it did. And it started I, with the stimulus payments. Well, I'll give you part of that, and but that was remember that was run by a Democrat Congress. Well, and, that's true, <laughs> and a Republican Senate that can't that, that is yeah. uh, capit is capitulatory. Well, uh, in their DNA. To give you a, a sort of a laugh over it before you go back to it, uh, Babylon B was running a, a thing today that uh, basically said uh, they were on, on the they're putting Biden's picture on the new hundred uh, one trillion dollar bill, right? Um, and they said uh, and they had a spokesman for the Treasury saying, you know. We're we're trying to stop this inflation thing, and we're printing money as quickly as we can, and we just can't keep up with it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's my whole thing about this uh, gas act uh, piece, of the gas rebate act. Yes, exactly. Okay, so we give every driver an extra eight hundred dollars this year to basically to offset the cost of gas. What is that going to do? People are going to go and probably buy more gas, right? Because you still have to drive yeah, to places, you still have to do things. 
So you got this extra money to buy more gas. What does that do to the price of gas? It raises it. It drives it up because there's demand there's, goes higher. There's not enough stock. There's not enough supply because we've been cutting off domestic production of oil, and we're buying from foreign countries. The U.S. dollar is weakening overseas because of the change in the petrodollar. And so we're going to hand you 800 bucks of your own tax money back, which we'll get back from you when we raise taxes again uh, on top of it, in order for you to offset the cost of your yeah. gas, which is going to raise the cost of your gas. Uh, look, people don't seem to realize that the reason that gas went from about 50 bucks a barrel to $160 a barrel, which is a tripling, the reason that happened was because there's not enough stock because we've cut off uh, refineries, pipelines, and pumping leases. Well, you can't do that and keep your stock. That's right. You can't do that. And low stock means high price. Yes, it does. It's it's a direct a direct corollary. All right. So, at the state level, our March Madness, well, it just happened yesterday. <laughs> and it's a and it's an ancillary. Well, actually, this whole last week has been madness in Ohio, okay? Let me start from the get-go. Last Saturday night, there was a debate among the U.S. Senate candidates, the Republicans running for office. Oh, yes. During the debate, the supposed frontrunner right now, only because he dumped about $4 million of, of direct mail into the people's mailboxes over the last three weeks, and he got a little bit of a bump out of it, Mike Gibbons, um, was being challenged by the other leading candidate, Josh Mandel. And Mandel basically challenged him on the fact that Gibbons' banking company and his investment companies are making tons of money off of Chinese industries. They're invested heavily in China. Gibbons tried to do the old political soft shoe and basically say, well, that isn't me personally. I can't control all that. Blah, blah, blah. And Mandel, and basically then threw back that Mandel wouldn't understand this five finance because he'd never worked a real job in his life. Josh Mandel threw down. He got up in Gibbons' face. They were eyeball to eyeball. I heard they had to be separated. They had to be separated. And Mandel reminded Gibbons that not only had he served the state, being being in office and the state treasurer, but that he had served two tours of duty in an active combat zone in Iraq as a U.S. Marine. You're trying to tell me that Marines aren't working? That being in the military isn't a job? (laughs) <laughs> well, Gibbons is trying to basically say that Josh was, uh, you know, he's unhinged and blah, blah, blah. Problem is, a letter went out this week from General Michael Flynn and uh, dozens and dozens of retired military veterans asking Gibbons to retract. The silence from Gibbons' campaign is deafening. Oh, it's, it has it's to be. Deafening. What do you say? He basically has shoved his foot all the way down his throat. Now, of course, J.D. Vance is over there basically trying to make hay out of it. And you and I both know how we, we you and I both feel about J.D. Vance. The guy's a carpetbagger and he's fake. He'll get into, if he gets to D.C., he'll cozy right up to Mitch McConnell and there, then that'll be where it'll, where it'll sit. And, you know, he, he won't be nearly as bad as Rob Portman. He'll probably right. be worse. Watch watch his YouTube advertisements. Oh, they're pathetic. Uh, they, uh, he'll, he'll be involved in uh, getting the border problem solved. Well, uh, no. He's aligned himself with the people who want the open borders, who want that's, a path to citizenship, right. who want amnesty. This is how he's going to fix the open border. But it's personal to him because his family was torn apart by, by uh, drug addiction. 
Yeah, well, and I, he, he grew up he grew up in rural southwest Ohio, yeah. supposedly. Yeah. If you ever read Hillbilly Elegy, he grew up in uh, Hamilton, Ohio, which is kind of an Appalachian, Kentucky kind of thing. My guess is the drug addiction of choice was probably marijuana. More which, than likely. Which probably wasn't coming from over, overseas. Uh, probably uh, marijuana, meth, stuff you can make at home. Yeah, and, and again, I'm not going to say it's it's a shame when, you, when a family's faced with that kind of thing. But he's trying to say that Josh is basically trying to earn points off of being in the Marine Corps. Isn't J.D. doing the same thing, trying to earn points off of his family's tragedy? Oh, of course. Um, I, yeah. I have a pro- I have a problem with all that, and then the bigger problem I have is is that there are people who think Jane Timken's actually a conservative. <laughs> exactly. Okay. I'm a I'm a Trump supporter. I'm a Trump conservative. I made sure that people got in who supported Trump. No, you didn't. You blocked well, them at every chance. Okay. Then the second thing that happened in March Madness was that the Ohio Debate Commission was are, are going to hold a series of debates for these seats next week down at Central State University. Um, they're going to have a U.S. Senate debate. They're going to have a gubernatorial. Oh, I'm sorry. Let me scratch that. They can't have the gubernatorial debate because the governor, Mike DeWine, has refused to participate. He doesn't want a debate. He doesn't want his record out That's there. Because he doesn't he, want to have yeah. to answer questions. You answered well, my question. as soon yeah. as Mike DeWine dropped out, then Jim Renacci drops out because Jim Renacci doesn't want his record question either <laughs> because we all know what happens when Renacci's record gets challenged. He starts lying through his teeth. Yeah. Yes, I'm saying it, folks. He Jim equi- Renacci will lie about his record. He equivocates. He's done it in numerous cases. I've, I've, I've been in front of him where he's lied through his teeth three different occasions, and I know he's lying. Yeah. Okay, so he drops out. So then they're going to scrub the whole thing, which means that the other folks in the race, Joe Blystone, who's being you know attacked at the Ohio Elections Commission by the Renacci campaign, who acting like they really don't have a part of the fact that their attorney is representing the ex-campaign manager for Blystone in suing him over his campaign finance issues. So, so that all spurred up because Saturday night, or yeah, it was Saturday night, I think it was. So I think the debate was Friday night, and this was Saturday night at the Ohio Beef Expo, which is the statewide thing for the beef, sure. beef cattle beef producers. Yeah. Guess who was at that? Joe Blystone. He's a farmer. He was out there ginning up support for Shaking hands. Yeah, kissing babies. Because it's a statewide thing of a big association, who else was there? Mike DeWine. Oh, no. They met each other. And Blystone, according, and there's like videos from different angles. You can't hear the audio. But supposedly, Blystone asked Mike DeWine why he wouldn't debate. And Devine, well, people know where I stand. I don't need to debate. <laughs> well, yeah, it's like, yeah, that's that's a coward. And and Blystone called him out, called him a coward. Well, all of a sudden, you see Dewine reach up and grab Blystone by the arm, and Joe Blystone knocking his hand off of him. And supposedly, Mike Dewine says, "I'm going to kick your behind, behind, but not in those words." Yes, but the a word. And then his security trots him off, and. You see Blystone turn around, and there's a state highway patrolman there, and they both start shaking their heads at the same time. Like, uh, yeah. So Napoleon complex coming yeah. out. We don't know what was actually said because nobody was close enough to record audio. But from the three ap- angles of video, it really does look like Mike DeWine was getting aggressive with Blystone. Did I mention to you that Blystone is actually the, the guy who's probably closer to unseating Mike DeWine in a primary than anybody right now? Than anybody, moment? yeah. Uh, and I thought his campaign would be over with by December. I was, I was, I was wrong. Now, yeah, me for, too. For, for clarity, I support Ron Hood and Candace Keller in that race because I've been friends with Ron for yep. 25 years, and I think they got the the idea of how to turn Ohio around. 
I don't know if they're going to make it or not as far as, but in a four-way race, you don't have to get 50%. All you have to do is get a plurality. You have to be the guy who's got more than everybody else. Than everybody else. Because we don't have runoffs in Ohio. Yep. And, uh, um, well, we're out of time. Well, we Uh, are. Uh you know what we think. We want to know what you think. www.principledpolicy.com. That's principledpolicy.com. And uh, join us again next week for another Principles and Policies.